Welcome to Healthonomics, a podcast about health, economics, and policy. I'm your host, Ina Katsikas, and I'm a PhD student at the University of Nevada, Reno, in the economics department. Today, my guest is Sarah Kotp. Sarah is a third-year PhD student at Harvard University in the health policy program with a focus on economics. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ina. So I'm really happy to have Sarah here because we met in Texas a few months ago at the Southern Economic Association. We both participated in a mentor workshop hosted by CSWEP, which I've talked about on here before. This is the Committee on the Status of Women in the Economics Profession. Highly recommend their events. And so Sarah and I met at that workshop. So today we are going to be talking about Sarah's experience in applying for grants to fund your PhD research but from the perspective of an international student. But before we get into that, first, tell me about your background in economics. Sure. So I studied economics in my undergrad. Um, We had a really great department at Middlebury College in Vermont, um, and I liked it. I graduated and decided to explore it a little more outside of school. Um, So I had a couple of research jobs, the second of which was a one of these pre-doc programs that help undergrads know what research and economics is like. So I had a great experience doing that. I worked for a really wonderful faculty member and got a confirmation or a green light that, you know, this is something that I like. And then I applied to uh, PhD programs. I'm excited to have Sarah here, like I said. Uh, But before we get into the meat of the interview, I always ask grad students, what is your caffeine of choice? And I do this because I think everyone's responses are very interesting. My personal caffeine of choice is just straight green tea. I don't drink coffee because I'm not a creative person. But I've learned that coffee drinkers are the most creative people I've met. They doll up their coffee. They do so many different interesting things to it. But I'm a very plain, boring, non-creative person. So I want to hear from you, Sarah, what's your caffeine of choice so our audience can get an idea of what kind of person you are. (laughs) My caffeine of choice is just drip coffee, medium roast drip coffee with a little bit of milk. But I will say that um, I met someone who said that she was always embarrassed to say that she just likes drip coffee or that she likes drip coffee with milk in it because it's not macho enough. Like the macho thing to do is to just have drip coffee, black. Um, But now she's living her truth and I'm living my truth and having drip coffee with milk. (laughs) I love love that you're living your truth. We are not allowed to have shame in grad school about what kind of coffee we drink. Not in our coffee. (laughs) (laughs) We can have shame about everything else, including our dissertation, but not the kind of coffee we drink. Um, Okay, so now we'll get into... So Sarah and I, when I met her a few months ago, we talked about these grants that she had applied to. And so I want to hear how many grants did you apply to? At what point in your PhD program were you doing the application process? Like just to give an overall scope. My program funds the first two years of the PhD and the last year of the PhD. Anything in between, um, you kind of have to find your way. So starting from the middle of my second year in the program, I started looking at um, funding opportunities and started applying. And so far, I've applied to six different fellowships or grants. Um, 
still waiting to hear back from two and from the other four, I was successful in one. Okay, so six grants, that's that's a lot. I I can imagine that the application process was somewhat time consuming. I'm curious, why did you choose those grants specifically that you applied to? Were there was it because of the research interests or the research questions that were involved or or were there administrative obstacles in the process? Why did you choose those grants specifically? Right. So I think my case was a little, uh, was motivated a little by, you know, by funding. And then, um, but then there's also the question of, you know, you need to find the grants and fellowships that are, that match your interests. So you're kind of, you want to apply to everything. It's not really productive. And, um, you know, if you have something that you don't really like, and then you have to really execute a project and think that you don't like, it's going to be a little tough. Um, but basically, I try to optimize on two things, you know, like, is it, does it match my interests or not? And the other thing was a little um, pragmatic is it does international grad student to uh, even apply. Where do you find these grants? What kind of resources would you recommend to other grad students who are looking for fellowships and grants? I myself have found it hard to find like a central resource of every type of grant and fellowship I can apply to. And so I want to hear from your perspective, how did you go through the search process of even finding these grants? And what do you recommend to grad students who are also going through the same search process? Yeah, I agree with you. So there is no central, you know, database with all the potential opportunities. Um, I think I'm lucky enough that my program has put some work in this. And so they did create a spreadsheet of like all the possible opportunities. And so many of it, of course, you know, like you're, you, you're not even going to be applying to, uh, but some might work. Um, so I'll admit that this is very, um, you know, it depends on the kind of resources that you have. But the other two resources that are available to more people one is Twitter. Twitter is great for a lot of reasons, but one of them is that you, you do, if you follow the right accounts, you will hear about deadline for this fellowship, or you will hear someone say like, I got this fellowship and now I'm pursuing this project. And you realize there is like a match in interest. So, and the other thing that I think is available to grad students is just faculty. Um, so especially if faculty are not on a hard uh, money position, so they have to fund some of their salaries they probably know about where to apply. The one thing I will say, though, um, which is a great piece of advice that I got from my faculty mentors, is that there are opportunities that faculty apply to, and they're also open to grad students, but there are opportunities that are not open for faculty PIs, so they cannot fund PI salary. Then you're not getting all these faculty who have been you know, researching a topic for 10 years and they're applying to a grant or fellowship. So it's mostly students and they're a little more open about what they're going to fund. So that's funny that you mentioned that Twitter is such a helpful resource because I never saw Twitter as helpful towards my career in grad school until recently when I was at Southern's and I met Ann Burton and she was all about econ Twitter and this is how you should use Twitter for your professional um, 
life. And so that's why I started a Twitter account in November when I was there in Texas, because I figured, okay, maybe this is going to help me. And it is helpful. You're absolutely right. I find opportunities, fellowships. Um, I follow the RAND Corporation and they post stuff all the time about upcoming things. So highly recommend how to use econ Twitter. I actually have a link on my website, uh, referencing to Anne's website on how to use econ Twitter. And it's incredibly helpful. Um, okay, so my next question is, um, what kind of obstacles do international students face in the grant fellowship, etc. application process that domestic students don't face? What do these obstacles look like for you? And how did you overcome them? I mean, so there's only one big thing, which is that um, you cannot get any federal money as a grad student, as an international grad student. Um, so that just reduces the pool of opportunity that you're looking at. Um, so, you know, like, I think we have a course here that prepares students to apply for these grants, but then at the end of the day, I can't apply to them. So that's, that's the big, it's just, there are fewer opportunities. Um, how did I overcome them? I, I, I'm sure if I overcame it, but I think, you know, focused on the, on the other opportunities that are available um, that didn't have a citizenship requirement, you know, keep eyes peeled for what's out there and talking to a lot of faculty and then end up getting and, you know, like, uh, hopefully you're in a supportive program. And if you're in a supportive program, you know, faculty are okay, you know, they hear about some opportunity, they pass it down to you. And most of what I found was through, you know, these emails that sent out randomly and like, oh, that actually can help. So when you say that, um, so you said that international students are not allowed to apply for federal grant funding, and that reduces your pool of opportunity. Um, how severe is that reduction in available opportunities? I'm kind of curious. That's a good question. I'm not. I'm not sure. I have a. I have a good answer, mostly because I just didn't even look at like any opportunity with, um, like a citizenship requirements so I don't really know how many there are I know that a lot of people go into grad school you know looking at the NSF I know people at least in my field look at um primarily they target these federal grants um and then everything else is kind of you know on the side um so I'm not I'm not sure how much it reduces the the pool um that, that being said, there are a bunch of opportunities that like private organizations um, provide. It requires a different set of skills. So like the set of skills you need to uh, you need to apply to the NSF with are different from the set of skills that you need to apply to like these random um, like other opportunities that um, that private organizations provide. So um, like one thing you have, like you need to understand what these private organizations are looking for, what they're trying to fund, what's their vision. You kind of need to work with that. You also need to communicate. You need to be able to communicate to people who are not necessarily on your field, but you know, they're interested in very big picture social policy. And you need to be able to go from like the jargon of your everyday, you know, economic research to this they're looking for. It's very big picture. Um, so it's kind of a different set of skills. And but the opportunities are there. Um. I was just having a conversation with um, my mentor the other day about 
career prospects after I finish this program and whether I want to go into private industry or uh, public sector or academia and what kind of trade-offs and what should I be prepared for in each of them. And she told me, you know, if you're going into the private sector, you're going to be given very specific questions to answer typically by clients um, who are looking to answer very specific things and you need to be prepared for that. Whereas if you're going into academia, you can choose what you want to research and a government job is somewhere in between the two. And so I think that's really important to understand for grad students who are thinking of going into private sector versus public sector. Like the idea of research, although the the processes and the ethics of research remain the same, the pool of what you get to choose changes whether you're in public versus private. And so maybe it would be a good idea for someone who's testing out the waters in private sector to try and get a fellowship or a grant funded from a private organization while they're in grad school um, to see how it goes for them and how they like that process of research. I was also going to add that um, even within academia, there is this, um, I know in most economic programs are hard money. And so uh, you don't, you don't have to raise any part of your salary, uh, but some of the positions in like schools of public health, or um, I think most of the schools of public health have soft money positions. So you do have to raise your salary through applying grants and fellowships and, uh, or mostly grants. And so it's a good signal if you've already done that, or that's what I've heard is that it's a good signal to have successfully applied for funding when you're a grad student once you're on the job market and you can say like, I've already done this, so it's not going to be a big learning curve for me once I'm on the position. That's a really good point. I was having another conversation with a professor a few weeks ago about whether I want to go into an economics department after this or a public health department. And she recommended if you're going into public health, make sure you know how to go through grant writing because that's what they're going to look for versus an economics department. It's not so heavy on the grant writing. So that's a great point that you brought up for uh, grad students who are looking to go into a public health program. It's probably a good idea to get some grant writing experience on your CV now before you hit the job market to show your employers that you're capable and it's not going to be a problem. Yeah, it's a good point. So for the grant application process, how time intensive is this thing? Um, I was just having a conversation with a fellow grad student a few weeks ago about the job market application process. And he was talking about it's incredibly time intensive. You're catering your applications for each employer. You're sending out probably hundreds of applications. So what does the grant application time intensity look like for that process? So I will say in general, it is time intensive. I think maybe a minimum of two months in advance is necessary. Maybe it's not sufficient before the deadline. Um, I will say that it varies though, because, because it depends on where you are on your proposal. So most of these grant opportunities come with with the requirement that you submit a proposal and then should you get the funding, you're, you're going to complete it and execute your project, right? So if you're just thinking of some idea and it's not really fully formed in your head and not written out, um, you're probably in a place where you need a lot of time to polish it, um, write it, write it up, like make sure it makes sense before you apply. But if you're in a place where you know what you're doing and you know you're lucky that you, 
the grains you're looking at matches perfectly with the same topic. So then, you know, it's just a matter of preparing your research material, which can still take a long time because, uh, you know, like they ask, sometimes they ask for like essays, personal essays, sometimes they ask for personal statements. Um, they ask for recommendation letters from faculty, which, you know, you want to, uh, to make sure that you notify the faculty like a long time before. So it, it varies. Um, I think you usually want to start pretty early. You don't, you don't want to risk it. Yeah, the starting early thing, that's huge with regards to a lot of things. So I'm curious to get your take because I'm writing a proposal right now um, for the third chapter of my dissertation to get some ideas on paper, and I'm, I'm struggling. I am on the struggle bus every single day. I am reading I, at least hundreds of pieces of literature a week to really dig into the lit, and I'm really struggling to come up with a high-quality research question um, that A, has not been answered, B, I can answer, C, I can answer it within the next two years. So I want to get your opinion, like how difficult and, and what would you recommend to grad students who are coming up with research questions for proposals? How difficult is that? And what do you recommend to students? <laughs> if only I had the answer. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tough question. Uh, yeah. It's a very tough question. And um yeah, I mean, I think I'm on the same struggle bus. Um, I mean, one, one good for you that you're on your third dissertation paper. That is great. That's a good, good sign. Um, I think, so I, I have been in the same position of, you know, writing down a list of my criteria and like all the checkboxes that I want to satisfy with my next proposal as it, one, it matches what funders want, two, matches what I want to study. Three, it is feasible. Four, it uses like the data that is available to me. Um, five, it matches the rest of my dissertation papers. And it's insanely hard to check all these boxes. And I think what I have ended up doing is, you know, having to compromise here and there. And those and checkboxes you listed seem like minute details but they are so difficult right. to check off it is so difficult to make sure your research interests and the grant funders interests are in the same pool and not just like broadly in the same pool but like you your interests can match the question that they want and making sure no one has answered it making sure that it's even feasible data constraints are a huge issue for grad students yeah, so all of those things, they seem like minute details, but they are so significant. How do you think that going through this application process has improved your skills as a grad student, as a researcher, or as an economist? I think it helped in two things. One is that, one is pretty general, like just writing in general. So I'm sure you've got through this process where you have the idea in your head and it makes perfect sense and then once you write it down you see all the holes in it um absolutely that's me every day <laughs> yeah that's all of us every day. always a struggle <laughs> preparing to apply for a grant and writing down the idea in like two or three pages and then you know, that that like you realize the weaknesses and then you go and try to remedy them i think that's the uh, 
it, it helps with that. It kind of like makes the research process starts earlier because now you're starting to write it down, formalizing it and, you know, fall, fall fast or fall forward, as they say. And I think the other thing that it helped me with is, uh, I think it's also still writing related, but just making, I think I said this before, just making sure that you can communicate your research interests in non-jargony way. So you get out of your jargony world and then you start communicating in like clear English sentences. I think that's that's a good skill. Like writing is a good is a very important skill, even if you're still in a very academic position and you're writing papers, like writing is still gonna help you, right? Uh, like writing well is going to help you, you know, probably publish more and publish better. But then you're also, I, I think it's it's it, it's important to me that, you know, what I'm doing is interesting to any random person in the street. Otherwise, it just it might be that I'm stuck in a, in a like in a little bubble of things that don't really matter. So if I can communicate what I'm doing in like layman terms and convince someone like this is important, you should put some money in this. I think that's that's a good like litmus test. You know, I struggle with that as well in selling my research to people or not selling it, but like noting the motive and the significance of my research, because to me, my research is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And I want to do it all the time. And my dissertation is really cool, (laughs) you know, but uh, like, for example, I was lecturing to my statistics students the other day and I was briefly talked about my research for like 10 seconds and they all just immediately lost interest i saw everyone just bam tune out and it was such a shot to my confidence because i was like man they're not as interested in this as i am and it's so it's such a hard skill to learn how to sell the idea of your research to someone and say hey this is important you should be putting money into this here is the significance of why we should be researching this and it's kind of like a skill that's not explicitly taught in grad school more implicitly and something that you have to pick up just over the years in your experience and research so yeah it's it's a tough skill and i'm sure that you're you're much, much, much better at it having gone through this rigorous uh, grant application process. So aside from preparing early and, you know, doing the two months of prep, two plus months of preparation, what would you recommend to grad students who are going through this process and have never gone through it before? What are some unexpected things that happen to you that you would tell a grad student, hey, watch out for this. This is definitely going to happen and you're not going to see it coming like unexpected obstacles? The one unexpected obstacle um, I ran into was that I underestimated how much time I need to give to faculty to get back to me with feedback. I think I needed kind of a green light from them or some sort of confirmation that this is actually interesting and it takes a lot of time and I have done it. Um, I have asked for feedback in, you know, like before Thanksgiving and obviously you know that's not a great time and so just if you think it's going to take you a month to get feedback from three people it's probably going to take you like two months or so Um, and maybe there's a back and forth and so it just it takes longer than usual Um, I think the I don't know the other the other piece of advice that I should follow um, I I don't want to sound preachy because I'm definitely not doing this well 
But um, no, you're allowed to sound preachy. You're not allowed to have shame in this podcast. No, <laughs> just just for my coffee. <laughs> have no fear. <laughs> um, no, I think the thing I should do more of is just talk to more people. So before applying for things, so one is just talking to faculty is always is always helpful. Sometimes it's harsh and like they tell you this is not great and like that's some good feedback. But you know, it's uh, like. Yeah, it's a little intimidating to get that feedback, even though it's helpful, but definitely should talk to more to faculty. I think like other pieces of advice that were given to me was uh, you should talk to people who have received these grants or awards and ask them about their application material. And when I have done that, I found that most people are very willing to help, even I have, if I have barely spoken to them before. And so it's it's very helpful to just see, you know, like this is what, the funders are willing to fund you know this is the quality that they're looking for and the other thing I got from one of my faculty advisors is that you should ask people giving up awards like what do you what do you actually want like is this something that you're interested in so like schedule phone calls and like don't be don't be shy about talking to them which I've, I've, not, I've not always done you know but it's something that I should work on more yeah, I agree with you. It's tough to reach out and talk to people and ask for their advice. Um, but it can be so helpful, especially in just building a network of knowing other economists in the field. It's really, it's very, very important. So this has been a great conversation. And I'm so happy you were able to come on the pod today. Thanks for talking with me. And I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Lina, for having me. This is Healthonomics. For more, go to healthonomics.co, where you can comment on today's podcast and find links and readings related to today's conversation. I'm your host, Ina Katsikas. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.